Hey everyone. So just fair warning, this week's podcast is much more didactic. It is geared toward helping you with the teacher education portfolio and the work that you're going to be doing over the coming weeks. So we don't have a guest. Uh, I am going to start by nerding out a little bit on teacher evaluation and how we measure good teaching uh, as a way of helping you understand how we've gotten to this point and thinking about the teacher education portfolio in particular. Um, And then during the main segment, I will be focusing on uh, our Uh, the teacher education portfolio, how you go about selecting good evidence, and then your write-ups or your video analysis of those and giving some tips around that. And then we will wrap up with Magic Wand. So just to start by giving some sense of how we've arrived at this place, there's been this perpetual question for centuries, truly, which is, how do we determine if someone is a good teacher? How do we measure good teaching? And it's been a complicated thing, as you can imagine, because teaching is very complicated and multifaceted. So initially, and and actually up until very, very recently, um, one of the main measures of good teaching was just administrative evaluations. And these would consist of a principal or a vice principal, assistant principal, coming in and observing a teacher uh, for one or maybe two class periods, writing it up, and that would count as the teacher evaluation. Now, those types of observations still happen, but they are not the only source of data. And you can imagine why this was problematic, because if the administrator's version of good teaching differed from the teacher's version of good teaching, uh, there might be some disconnect there. Additionally, what you would see would be what teachers often refer to as the dog and pony show, where even a not so great teacher could do a great job for one class period, but maybe that teacher wasn't doing well consistently across the board. So in the last 20, 10 to 20 years, we have started using student assessment data as a determinant of teacher effectiveness and how good of a teacher is. Uh, and you can also see the problems with this, right? So when we look at student assessment data just on its own, we're not accounting for a lot of different variables that might affect student performance. And most notably, um, we're not if we're just looking at where a student ends up and not looking at where they started, we are not, you know, capturing the full picture. Because if a student comes in to grade levels below where they are supposed to be or not having um, the requisite knowledge or background experiences that they have to be successful in a class, then obviously that is going to show itself on the tail end. So the standardized test movement uh, was, was one way of measuring teacher effectiveness and determining if students were ready to move on. But you can see that there are a lot of problems with that. So To respond to that, um, some statisticians developed something called the value-added model, which uh, took into account where students started the year and then uh, 
try to compare that with where they ended up at the end of the year. And so this is why in many cases we have these pre-test, post-test situations, or we have benchmarks throughout the year. This is trying to control for some of the variables that are in play when we have, when we're trying to measure student achievement and then also think about teacher effectiveness. So if we measure students at the beginning of the year and see where they are and then see where they end up at the end of the year, the idea is that we can attribute a good portion of their growth or lack of growth to a particular teacher. Now, that makes sense, but still you can see that there are problems with that because we're not accounting for out-of-school factors, like what is happening in that student's life over the course of the year in which they are enrolled, and other things that might be impacting student performance as well. So getting closer, but not quite there. Another strand of teacher assessment and evaluation has been the development of performance assessments. And so the teacher education portfolio is a version of that. Um, and you also national board certification is a version of that. And you might in your teaching jobs have situations where you need to put together some sort of portfolio or document evidence of student growth. And those are again, in response to this very challenging conundrum of how do we measure teacher effectiveness. Now, these do give teachers agency. At the same time, the challenge with them is that they create a lot more work for teachers who are already overworked. And so asking teachers to document their own effectiveness and to do so in the thorough manner that many school divisions or performance assessment uh, assessments ask, then, then that can also be challenging. So you can see we have a really difficult situation here where we want to show the professionalization of teaching, but are really still stuck about how to do it. And I'm going to tell you that we still don't have an easy answer, <laughs> but I would like to talk a little bit more after uh, our quick intro here about how we are using the teaching performance assessment and trying to keep it manageable for you within the context of our program and then give some tips about how to make it work for you. I've given you a little bit of background on the challenges of measuring good teaching. Now let's talk about the teacher education portfolio and how we got here. So other professions have, so law, medicine, nursing, many other professions have standards of care and standards that they uphold and ways of measuring whether people are doing that, like passing the bar if you're going to become a lawyer and continuing medical education if you're a physician and certainly other professions as well. The challenge with teaching is that teaching is much more subjective. And even though we have some consensus around what constitutes effective teaching, I don't know that we have a clear consensus about that. And I also don't know that 
all teacher education programs promote the same vision of good teaching. And so that makes it challenging. So here at in our program, what we are trying to accomplish is to get a sense of what you have learned over the course of the program and how that impacts your practice. So we're thinking about your growth as a teacher and then also about our work as teacher educators and using the this as a means of continuing program improvement to think about how we can best serve all of our candidates. Um, as I said, when we were first talking about the teacher education portfolio, it's this is not an employer-facing portfolio for you. You might think of it as your thesis or your capstone project for a master's degree, um, and but it will help you in thinking about your practice, much like the Classroom Come to Life project for some of you uh, helped you clarify your thinking around classroom management practices that you want to have in your classroom. The teacher education portfolio can help you identify areas where you feel strong and areas where you know that you need to continue to grow as a teacher. So it helps everyone in that way. As a performance assessment, as I indicated, one of the challenges of performance assessments as for measures of good teaching is that it puts a lot of onus on the teacher and teachers we know are already overworked. And so we need to ensure that the way that we approach this feels manageable for you. The way that we have structured this is for you in the teacher education portfolio to be able to provide evidence of work that you have already done or are already doing that you feel best reflects good practice and your effective teaching uh, demonstrations. So we don't want just your knowledge about teaching, which perhaps the praxis might, men- might measure content knowledge or teaching knowledge. We also want to see how you are enacting this knowledge and how it is playing out for your students. So there are multiple components for sure, but what I'm talking about here are the eight components that are not the philosophy of teaching and learning all of which require you to select some evidence or artifacts that align with the rubric uh, for that particular component. So what I'm describing here, I'm hoping is general enough that you can get a sense for how to apply this to these different components. So first, you're going to want to go about selecting evidence. And this actually might be one of the more challenging parts for each of this, each of these different components is figuring out what evidence to use. My suggestion would be to start by reviewing the rubric criteria for each component and highlighting what you think are key areas. So for instance, if you're thinking about planning, you'll note that there's a lot of discussion about learning targets. And so you're definitely going to want to select artifacts that highlight learning targets and how those are carried throughout either units or lessons and your approach to uh, developing those learning targets and then how they manifest themselves and your, your planning is aligned with those particular learning targets. So you want to meet the rubric criteria and you also want to select evidence that reflects high quality effective teaching. This does not mean that these artifacts need to be perfect and certainly we are not expecting that. Um, They do need to be strong though. They need to be solid reflections of uh, 
um, what is outlined in the rubric. So I would really encourage you to select evidence that you feel proud of um, and that aligns with those rubric criteria. Whenever possible, and this is not going to be possible for all components, whenever possible, I really encourage you to select evidence that is authentic and has been enacted versus um, things that are more hypothetical. Now, as I said, this is not going to be possible for every component, but I would really uh, steer away from selecting for every component work that you completed in the fall. You're growing as a teacher and probably a lot of the work that you do for your placement this spring will reflect that growth, perhaps more so than work that you did at the end of the fall semester when you were under pressure. But again, this is not to say everything needs to be from the spring. It just means whenever possible, if you have evidence from your current placement, that might be uh, have more credibility than work from the fall because you are actually enacting it. The other piece of that is that it might give you more to reflect on because you are enacting it. And so the analysis and reflective pieces of your um, write-up or video might be a little bit easier for you to do than something that you've never actually tried out with students. Okay, so the selecting of the evidence is key. And as you're thinking about this, um, I would go through, perhaps something comes to mind automatically. If not, then I would go back through files and start to think about, okay, what are the things that I'm looking for here and review some of your past work. When you make selections, this might be a really good time for you as you're doing so to jot down some notes about why you are selecting this particular evidence so that if you are not able to sit down and do your write-up or your video explanation at the time that you're actually selecting the evidence, when you go back to it, you have a starting point. So again, when you're selecting this evidence, think about jotting down some notes for yourself that help you remember why you're choosing these particular artifacts and what they reflect to you. The other part of each component will be either your write up your or your video analysis description explanation okay and for whether you're doing a write up or you are doing a video each of those is composed of three distinct parts the descriptive aspect which is the what what is this evidence the analytic explanation, which is, so what? Why have you chosen these pieces and how do they align with the rubric? And then the reflective, which I think of as the now what? Based on this, what do you understand about your own teaching better and where is this going to lead you? Okay. So really with this video explanation or a written explanation, you're really trying to provide your reader, which will be peers and will also be faculty, a window into your thinking about the evidence. So you're going to start by thinking about the context and the descriptive piece is really about the what is it? What is the evidence that you have selected? You might think about when you developed this and why you developed it in this particular context, which students and classes this is designed for. 
And when this was implemented, if it was implemented, what would come before or after this particular evidence? How is it situated in the overall instructional context? If you're thinking about classroom management, obviously that's going to be different. You might be thinking about more around the types of students and classes for which you developed uh, these classroom management artifacts and how you are thinking about implementing them. Uh, especially if they are not things that you have implemented. And then if you were working on collaboration and collegiality, obviously giving a better sense of how this evidence is situated within that your particular teaching context will be things that you'll want to do. The next piece is the analytic piece, and this is really where you're thinking about how this meets the rubric criteria and explaining this for your audience. So here, thinking about how is it reflective of good teaching overall, and also how is it, uh, how does this really reflect the rubric criteria for the component that you are working on? So for example, going back to the planning piece, if you were focused on, if you selected a unit plan or a lesson plan, really demonstrating how those learning targets are carrying through, how the instruction and assessments are aligned with those learning targets, and making that really explicit for the audience, that is going to be very clear. That is going to be really important. The more specific you can get, the stronger this is going to be, okay? If the artifacts and evidence that you've selected were actually implemented, then I think talking about the effectiveness in this particular section would be really beneficial and that will naturally lead you into the third section, which is the reflective section. And I think of this, as I said, as the now what. So what does the evidence and your subsequent analysis of it reveal about your strengths as a teacher? And here you're really going to want to be specific about what are some things that are highlights and strengths for you based on what you have shared and presented and analyzed. And then what does the evidence and analysis suggest about areas you can continue to grow as a teacher and what might be some of these next steps, okay? So again, as specific as you can be will be helpful here. So again, thinking about the three different sections, and if you're doing a write-up, you're going to have one paragraph for each of these sections, the descriptive, which is the what, the analytic, which is the so what does this mean, and then the reflective, which is the now what piece. If you are doing a video explanation, which is totally fine to do, you will probably want to sketch that out and outline it ahead of time, and then just make sure it is clear in that video when you are transitioning from the descriptive to the analytic to the reflective, okay? I have created a checklist that we will be using for instructor review and that you will be using for peer review. It is also a great tool for you to use for self-review if you find it beneficial. So I'm going to send that out to everyone today and I encourage you to... Um, 
use it and to find it on Canvas as a tool for you. And as always, as you're working on any of these pieces, please feel free to reach out with any questions that you might have. From an announcement standpoint, remember that this week um, on Sunday, the 30th, you are going to be submitting a draft of your philosophy of teaching and learning for Scout and I to review and give feedback. That feedback will probably be audio feedback for you, um, but we are always happy to follow up with more specific written feedback as needed. You should have gotten your resume uh, feedback, and we encourage you to work on making revisions to your resumes and continuing with your job search work. Thank you all again so much for your participation in the interviews this past Wednesday. I hope those were helpful. If you feel like you want to debrief those, let me know. Um, and then we do not have class in person until February 16th. So our work will be asynchronous and online. Um, as I mentioned, I am not available on Monday and Tuesday this week, but later next week, if you would like to meet, just let me know and we will certainly set up a time. Um, and then the other piece for this coming week is that you have a quick Google check-in, which we would appreciate you completing so that we can make sure everybody's on track and address any issues that come up. All right. Thanks, everyone. I will be with you again in just a minute for Magic Wand. This week, I'm waving my magic wand in response to the question, how would I change teacher assessment and evaluation practices? And I think I have two key ideas that I want to highlight. And one is putting more responsibility and power in the hands of teachers themselves, both for documenting their own practice and showing how it is effective teaching practice through performance assessments, and then also really utilizing collegial observations and collaboration as a means of improving teaching. Uh, in Japan, they do a a process called lesson study where teachers work in small groups together on developing lessons and then they take turns teaching those lessons with the other teachers observing and work together to improve the lesson itself to improve student learning. And so the focus is on the teaching itself and the development of teaching practices that are effective for promoting student learning rather than being subjective evaluations of teachers' personalities or uh, approaches to teaching. And I think that this has shown to be really effective in improving teaching practices overall. Now, the challenge here is time. And so for such things to happen in our current system, we would need teachers to have a completely different structure to their day, fewer stu uh, lower student load, fewer students that they are responsible for, and much more time within their work day to do document and reflect on their own practice and also to collaborate with other teachers, to observe other teachers, and to work with those teachers to think about how they can improve the student experience. So time, time, time would be the key to that and power to the teachers for sure. And I think though that if we started to make 
structural changes like this as many countries around the world have implemented. We would see a real different vision for the teaching profession. Unfortunately, in our country, we have a lot of preconceived notions about what teachers do that make it difficult to make these structural changes. But I remain hopeful, especially given the imperative that we're feeling right now to change the educational system. So let's keep advocating for time and space to make teaching a real profession. Hope you all have a great week.